Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. I once interviewed a poet named Christian Wyman for a Sunday forum back in Little Rock. And in my introduction, I used a few lines from a Seamus Heaney poem and set the volume I'd read from down on the table between us. Sometime later in our conversation, Chris picked the book back up and read from a different poem, one titled Moss Bond, in which Heaney's Aunt Mary is in her kitchen baking. We see her dusting the bake board with a goose's wing We see her whitened nails and measling shins, a scone rising to the tick of two clocks. And the poem concludes like this. And here is love like a tinsmith's scoop, sunk past its gleam in the meal bin. Chris closed the book and said, it's hard to use the word love in a poem. Love is a word that suffered damage and drainage from overuse and imprecision, from sentimentality and nostalgia. It's a hard word to make mean anything very vivid or useful or real. But I've never forgotten the dull metal of that tinsmith scoop, with the shiny evidence of its ordinary use buried down in the meal. I've never forgot that love, according to one poet, can look precisely like that. It may be just as hard to use the word love in a sermon, but we have to tonight. We're commanded to. But instead of of telling us what love is, Jesus shows us what it looks like one night in Palestine at supper with his friends. It looked like this. He got up from the table, took off his outer robe and tied a towel around himself. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was tied around him. That's love, says Monday Thursday, or rather, shows Monday Thursday. Before the definitions and the commentary begin to crowd in, we're meant to sit with these images, I think. The writer of John, the one who regularly intrudes with explanations like, for he knew who was to betray him, for this reason he said, not all of you were clean, that, John, for a moment, with this image of Jesus' hands tying that towel around his waist with the sound of that water being poured into the basin with the artless act of wiping clean the naked and dusty feet of those disciples. Then, of course, John gives us Simon Peter and all his anxious words. I'm coming to believe Jesus made Peter the head of his church because Peter keeps getting things wrong in all the ways we get them wrong. First, he says that what Jesus is doing is all wrong, which it is, of course. The washing of feet was a servant's role, not a master's. Maybe a student would wash a teacher's feet, but never would the teacher stoop down to this indignity for a student. In defense of Jesus' status, Peter says, you'll never wash my feet. He misses the point of Jesus' disruption of the social order by trying to keep it intact. But when Jesus says the only way Peter can be connected to him is to allow Jesus to take on this role of servant, Peter spins around 
and misses the mark again, thinking the point must be about getting clean. So he asks not just for the foot wash, but for a whole body treatment. No, Peter, that's not it either. It's hard to use the word love even if you're Jesus at supper with your friends the night before you're going to die. There are so many ways we get love wrong. A year ago, there was a lot of talk about what Maundy Thursday liturgies ought to look like in our freshly locked down world. We'd only recently become experts on the ingredients in effective hand sanitizers and strategies to keep one hand washing the other for a full 20 seconds. So some proposed turning the traditional foot washing in the liturgy into a hand washing ceremony. But for Peter's sake, friends, it's not about the cleansing. It's not about protecting oneself from sources of infection, whether material or moral or metaphorical. Jesus' gesture is the polar opposite. It's about his relinquishing of power, of status, of control, of cleanliness, of safety, of just about everything, so he could leave every last part of himself exposed to the worst a violent and unjust world had to offer. Jesus says, this is what teaching looks like in the reign of God. It looks like tying on a towel. Jesus says, this is what leadership looks like in the reign of God. It looks like kneeling down to do the undignified work of a servant. Jesus says, this is what love looks like in the reign of God. It looks like exposing yourself to the filth of another. Filth we carry on our bodies, no less. Perhaps it's better that we're not actually washing one another's feet again this year. Don't get me wrong. It can be a moving and vulnerable and humbling liturgical experience to take another human's foot in your hand and wash it. But our liturgy fails in the same way Peter failed. If we leave here thinking we've taken Jesus at his word and done what he asked us to do when we've actually washed each other's feet, it's hard to enact the word love in a liturgy. But like Mary Heaney's whitened nails and the ticks of her clocks, the images of Maundy Thursday can still startle us awake if we let them. But to do so, we have to let them reorder actual structures of authority and power in our actual lives, in our actual world, as they actually are today, especially the the structures that serve us. Paying sentimental homage to the poor and the suffering, even doing works of charity to lend a little help, won't suffice. Not if it leaves us in control, at least. Obedience to Jesus will mean granting deep and meaningful dignity and the power that should attend it to people it doesn't make sense for us to grant that dignity to. People we'd rather not take, we'd, we'd rather not take over the control we'd been asked to relinquish. Especially... It will mean letting go of our own claims to dignity and power, claims we probably believe we deserve. Dignity and power, you and I probably assume, are the means we have to do some good in this world. Service in which they stay intact is simply something different from the way of love modeled by this strange Savior of ours that night at supper with his friends. I so recognize the evasions of dear Peter. I share them and have added so many more of my own. 
I'd much prefer to assure, assure myself that I'm one of the sufficiently clean ones than to be brought low as the kneeling Jesus in the service of love. I can also spiritualize and internalize my response to the story, which can be ways of insulating me from what actual bodily faithfulness to Jesus' commandment to love would look like in a life like mine right here in Memphis today. Because, for example, it seems to me that in this moment, if Maundy Thursday has no connection with the experiences of black and brown bodies and the systems and structures that grant and withhold dignity and power to them, I've probably invented yet another safe, sanitized illusion of faithfulness to the shape of Jesus' life, to his lived expression of what it means to lead, to serve, to love. To deny any connection of the Maundy Thursday story with issues of power and dignity and authority in our world and in our community is an evasion blinder and bolder than Peter's. My way of saying, surely you must have something else in mind, Jesus, than a love that gets into all that. What Jesus enacted was the truth that there is no such thing as a love that does not get into all that. And maybe all that is why it's hard to use a word like love in a church, even tonight. Perhaps the question then that we should leave here with from Jesus is not whether you and I are sufficiently clean or good or even saved. It's what dignity, what power, what status or authority or modicum of control or self-preservation what worry about your own defilement or purity or health or perfection do you need to let go of if your life is to embody the kind of love Jesus showed us, the kind of love he enacted, the kind of love he commanded us to live out, not in our minds, not in our hearts, but on our knees. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.